Chapter 6 Destruction Weapons hung along all four walls of the ammo room. Swords, pistols, and knives all seemed to point at me. I shivered under the weight of what they represented. Jimmy scanned the rifles. Hmm, not the greatest to start with. He placed a finger on his chin. He was wasting his time. I didn't know how to use any firearm. Wait a second. Are there guitars in here? Jimmy eyed me. It's the only weapon I know how to use. I mean, play. Jimmy swiveled back to the wall. I'll take that as a no. If I had to choose, a bow and arrow might be the easiest to learn. I couldn't imagine being comfortable carrying a gun. Give me the bow. Jimmy walked over to a shelf. I have something better. He threw a long, skinny object toward me. I flinched before I caught it. A stick? I balanced it on my hands. It's called a staff. It's been a common weapon for centuries. You think I can learn how to use it? If only I'd taken the karate class Dad signed me up for in first grade. You caught it. Beginner's luck. Jimmy almost grinned. Your mom is very skilled with the staff. For some reason, when I dreamed of mom, martial arts skills weren't what had come to mind. I pictured her looking similar to my bakery Barbie doll with a tray of cookies balanced on her double-jointed fingers. But now I imagined mom as a warrior with wavy flying hair and fierce eyes. I planted the stick on the floor and gave my best effort at the sidekicks I'd seen in movies, resisting the urge to say, hi-ya. When I landed on my feet, I threw the stick above my head, but instead of landing in my outstretched hand, it crashed to the floor. So much for being like my mom. I picked it up and tapped it. I'll take it. Jimmy's grin spread a little more. Come on. He nodded for me to follow him out of the ammo room and into the courtyard adjacent to a mansion that must have been Carper's. Inside the perimeters of the steel wall, Moon City resembled a village from a Disney movie. It was beautiful, but simple. The mansion towered above the rest and was surrounded by a manicured lawn, trails of colorful flowers, and a large balcony. Beyond the courtyard, walkways scattered with islands of trees and fancy trash cans in between. Wooden food carts spread throughout. Workers set up their displays of flower bouquets and handcrafted jewelry that, according to the sign, represented moons. I leaned close to Jimmy's ear. Why is this place called Moon City? It looked like an amusement park in the middle of a grand hotel. Many of the people who joined Carper believe that he received power from the moon. It never disappears from view, even in daylight. Carper called this place a city because he likes to appear big and powerful. I looked at the moon above us that appeared bigger in the light of day. Or maybe we were closer to the moon in Origo. Another planet showed clearly in the sky. There was no doubt it was Earth. Henry was right. Origo was real. And here I stood from a different planet, home so far out of reach. A chill passed through me. Would I ever return? Commotion came from young adults fighting each other in the courtyard. One pair was wrestling. An orange-haired girl with gritted teeth squeezed the neck of a boy who eventually passed out. 
I couldn't move. Should I help him? Beat up the girl? I lifted my stick, aimed it at the girl, then dropped it. What was I thinking? With my luck, it would bounce off the girl's solid muscles like a toothpick against metal. The boy didn't budge. Is he... Don't get too curious, Jimmy moved forward. It doesn't help. The winning girl walked away, but not before she turned to look at me, as if she hoped I was next on her list. I glanced back toward the wall, my small room sounding more inviting, but Jimmy nudged me toward the middle of the courtyard, where I could see all the action. Another couple jousted on horses, which wouldn't have bothered me if I were at a Renaissance fair, but these lances were real, and the moment one of the young men didn't stay alert, the tip of the other's lance plunged into his chest. The young man fell from his horse into the ground, deep red blood darkening his shirt. I stifled a scream with my hands. The trainees nearby stopped to watch me with no expressions on their faces. Jimmy rushed over and put his hands on my shoulders. You have to be tougher than this. His whisper was harsh. Carper's watching you. Carper sat in a chair on the balcony in front of the mansion and sipped from a glass. A few adults sat by him with similar glasses in their hands. I searched for a woman who'd resemble the vision I'd seen of Mom. Would I recognize her? The spectators chatted and occasionally pointed out the warriors. No, Mom wouldn't be one of these. She couldn't be. Carper watched me as if gauging whether he should intervene or let Jimmy settle me down. But I didn't want to take another dumb, deep breath. I wanted to live in the panic so that at least someone acknowledged what had happened here. A person, possibly two, had died. It was murder. My stomach cramped as bile rose in my throat. You didn't prepare me for this. They're not dead forever, Jimmy said. You saw what happened. Pero, listen. The Lee plants will cure them. Jimmy's gaze didn't leave my face. Lee means power, force, and strength. When they eat Lee, they won't die. Nope, I was done. I'd find the necklaces and a way out. I can't do this. You have to. Jimmy was close enough for me to see that he wouldn't let me go. Not because he'd hurt me if I left, but almost as if he'd watched and endured many years of death and was done also. I closed my eyes for a moment. Mom lived in my mind. I wanted her to live in front of my eyes. For Mom. I nodded. Okay. Jimmy exhaled. I'll take you to Marcus. He's the trainer. The two men dragged the boy who was lanced from the arena. Jimmy was right. My life was no longer mine. What if I really did have to die a thousand deaths? What if the Lee plants didn't cure? Surely they wouldn't start my first training with someone who'd kill me. A bald man stood between two teen girls with bows in their hands and arrows and bags strapped on their backs. The man's arms crossed and his legs splayed in an upside-down V. The targets were not people. A knot in my stomach relaxed a little. Maybe this pair wouldn't kill each other. Just as one girl was ready to let her arrow fly, the man kicked the backside of her leg. She groaned, 
but right before she fell to the ground, she corrected her aim and released the arrow toward the target. It landed three rings above the center. Again, the man said. The girl quickly stood and pulled another arrow from her bag. Giant bruises, raised and purple, covered her legs where the man had kicked her. I gasped. Jimmy put a finger to his lips. He could have stopped me if he thought I'd try to help the girl, but he must have had me figured out. My greatest weapon was my mouth. Not a good sign for a prophesied warrior. I anticipated another kick, but when nothing happened, I turned to the man and the girls. All three studied me. My face flushed. I should have held it in. Instead, my reaction screamed, new girl, louder than a name tag would have. Well, the man said. I tried to smile. Did manners accomplish anything in a place like Moon City? Should I introduce myself? Tell him I'm ready to be trained, just not yet in archery? I held out my stick, feeling as much a fool as I probably looked. I'm here. Wow, was I smart. I cleared my throat. For training. Marcus, Jimmy said. This is peril. Marcus looked me over and smirked. You're not anything like your mother. Did Carper see this girl before he dragged her here? With all the female warriors around, his insults couldn't be because I was a girl. Maybe it was because I trembled as I held out my pathetic peace offering. She can't even hold a staff, he said. I didn't disagree. Marcus snatched the stick from my weak hold and pressed it against his knee. His muscles bulged and his face shook as he snapped it in half. Nausea waved through me. What would he have done to me if I'd held out myself instead? Lesson one. Marcus dropped the pieces on the ground. Don't hold out your weapon. Got it. With nothing to hold on to, I placed my hands on my hips. Marcus's face distorted to disgust. Say it. Say what? You wanted to the second you saw the first one die. So say it. Was I really that easy to read? I guess I would be. An innocent 17-year-old who thought losing her mom was the worst pain she'd ever have to experience. Oh, was I wrong. What will you do to me if I'm honest and say what I'm thinking? Jimmy fidgeted. It was a warning. Yet I didn't want my words to back myself into a corner. Everything I said in response could be used against me. Marcus blinked. Want to find out? I didn't. But with Carper watching, my mind had to rush as fast as an arrow and as steady as a hold around the dead boy's throat. Think, Pero. Think. If I ran past him, it'd catch him off guard. I would avoid having to answer. But I'd be answering in a way. I'd be telling him and Carper that I wasn't an archer or skilled stick person. When it came to athleticism, I was a runner. And if I had a chance to survive, I had to put my best foot forward. I let out a breath. Ready. What would Marcus do with my response? Would running away cause more misery? I'd hate to stick around, no pun intended, and find out. Lesson one, I said. Marcus could kill me for this. I put one foot behind the other. Set. Don't show your back to the enemy. I looked behind Marcus. As expected, he looked too. Go! 
My heart beat faster when I gained speed. I ducked between Marcus and the girl with bruises, too fast to notice if they'd seen it coming or what they'd do next. Would this accomplish anything? It didn't matter. I had to have all eyes on me. It may be the only chance to show my skill without being killed. If I couldn't use a stick, I'd use my legs. I pressed my feet against the courtyard cement firmly and lightly so I didn't lose momentum. Crowds strolled along a type of farmer's market with stands of produce and flowers and wooden figures that on quick glance seemed to be shaped like a moon. A peach stand stood in front of me. Their smell enticed me to pick one up and eat it along the way, but that would reduce my speed. Instead, I leapt over the entire table and landed on my feet. This was not chosen or warrior power. This was Paramoshe, the ordinary. Moon City citizens, dressed in brightly colored attire, gasped. A man tried to grab me, but I weaved around him. A cluster of people cleared to make a straight path to the front gate. As I neared the city's gates, I saw my end. I slowed and rested my hands on my knees, panting. I looked up at the nearest guard. Open the gate! The guard ignored me. Open the gate now! He didn't move. More was out there, open space, and here I was at a stop, just as I'd been on my daily runs at home. I should have known that everything I chased after eventually ended. I'd gotten past the closet in my room and the forest outside my home, and look at where they brought me. To another wall. The gate was a few feet taller than me and barred with horizontal black metal rails. If I placed my foot on the one vertical rail, I could push myself up and clamber over it. As a kid, I'd once climbed a tree about the same height and jumped down with a plastic bag that Dad tried to convince me was not a parachute. I didn't listen then and ended up alive. I walked to the gate, held onto the rails with both hands, set my foot on the vertical rail, and pulled myself up. The gate rose a couple of feet above me, higher than I'd thought. Circling my hands around one rail, I set my feet against two rails and pulled myself up an inch. My feet slipped, and I fell backward, landing hard. Pain throbbed from my tailbone and up my spine. When the ache subsided, I stood and wiped the debris and dirt off my pants. Just a bruise. I'd try again. If only I had a plastic bag. Let her out, a voice said. I turned around. Carper folded his arms and his eyes appeared humored. Marcus stood next to him with a scowl. How did they get there so fast? I turned back to see the guard swinging the gate outward. Beyond the gate was the field, and beyond that was the forest, and beyond that had to be the Lasaris, waiting for the right time to come for me. She'll be gone, Carper, I heard Marcus say from behind. Will she? Carper asked. He knew the answer. Otherwise, he never would have let me go. Everything I needed was in Moon City. The necklace. Mom. But what he didn't know was that everything I wanted would always be out there. People built walls, and I couldn't trust people. I didn't glance at Carper or Marcus, only to what was ahead. As I ran through the gates and around the city, the gate guard telling the other guards they could let me go. The tall grass whipped my legs, 
The sun burned my face. The breeze stung my eyes. I was wide awake to the earth, as if I wasn't stuck inside and hiding anymore. It was time to be awake. Whatever the reason I was here, I never wanted to hide again. Parrowfeather. The voice nearly stopped me. It was deep and very near, like words written across my mind. I ran faster. It had to be Dad's voice in my head, cheering me on. Out of the vibrant blue sky, a bald eagle swooped down and touched the grass. I ran toward it. With every step I took, the eagle flew further away until it reached the edge of the forest. I stopped when it landed on the ground, resting my hand against a tree. The eagle's enormous wings shimmied and set in place behind its back. Its head twitched and stared at a focal point before moving to another. Its eyes narrowed. How could the eagle not notice I was close enough to see its green eyes blink and the specks of gray on its white face? Close enough for the eagle to be in danger if I were after it. Was I so insistent on leaving Moon City that I hadn't noticed the dangers around me? Maybe I shouldn't trust Jimmy. Maybe I shouldn't trust Mom. She'd left me. She kept something hidden from Dad. What if she was the enemy? As swiftly as it had appeared, the eagle launched through the air and into the sky toward the planet Earth. If I could fly in the eagle's wings, would it take me back? I was alone, my breath the only sound apart from a breeze that whistled through the trees. I knelt and touched a blade of grass with my fingertip. Peace came in moments like this, but was hard to keep. As much as I craved to move fast, I also craved rest. I collapsed under a tree and laid my head against the trunk. The city's walls were not too far away, reminding me that I wasn't entirely free. I closed my eyes and reached for Mom's pendant in my pocket. When my hand grasped air, I rubbed my chest as if the necklace was still there and was a magic lamp that would grant me three wishes. I wished that Carper had never existed. I wished for Mom and Dad and me to be together. One more wish. What should it be? I didn't know. Maybe my third wish would be to always have a wish. Like never-ending life. Like hope. Something whizzed up on my head and vibrated through the tree. An arrow jammed into the bark and held a folded note in place. My stomach turned rock hard. It could have been my head pinned to the tree. I brought my hand over my eyes to block the sun behind Moon City. A dozen figures stood atop the wall. Carper folded his arms. The girls with bruises on her legs held a bow in her hand. So she did have good aim when she wasn't being kicked. What a relief. I kept myself facing the wall so that I followed my own lesson. Never turn your back on the enemy. I guess I turned my back when I ran from Moon City, but I wouldn't risk it now. With one foot against the tree trunk, I pulled the arrow with both hands. It didn't budge. On the wall, Carper had moved his foot to the edge. Was that laughter I heard? If only I could tell the eagle to fly behind Carper, nudge him over just a bit. I couldn't run back to Moon City without the note. It would mean I failed. How could I read it if I couldn't pull it out? Maybe if I tore the note off. I pulled at it a little. 
It nearly ripped the whole thing. Oh, come on. I pulled off my long-sleeved airwick shirt, leaving on the tank underneath, and ignored the whistles from the wall as I wrapped my shirt around the arrow and pulled again. The arrow loosened, and I fell backward. Yes. I held out the arrow for my audience, but groaned. The stick of the arrow was in my hand while the rest was still stuck in the tree. Laughter was definitely what I'd heard the first time. I threw the piece of arrow to the ground and ripped the paper from the tree. Stepping into the clearing, I held the paper out in victory and bowed. They clapped and hollered. Glad you're happy, I muttered. Opening the letter, I held the ripped pieces together. Dinner party tomorrow night. I'll have formal attire ready for you in the mansion at 3 p.m. Don't be late. Well done, Carper. On the wall, Carper nodded, then turned and walked away, his followers right behind.